What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 200. Yes, 200 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Burbeck. I am your host and guide through said podcast. And I'm going to say it for a third time, episode 200. I'm honestly, like, I'm flabbergasted I've got this far with this show, but massive thank you for everyone who's listened to, even if it's just one episode, or if you've listened to several, if you've listened to all 200, like, it's, yeah, it means the world to me. It really, really does. So thank you, everyone, for the support. On that note, um, literally just before I recorded this, uh, I did the giveaway draw for episode 200 where we were giving away a load of records courtesy of some lovely friends at various record labels and distros. Uh, the winner was a good friend of mine, ironically, so I hope anyone who listens to this and knows the podcast doesn't think this is fixed. But uh, Lindsay Corsetton, Lindsay, I apologise that I, I said your name wrong and even wrote it wrong. Uh, for the actual draw but uh, she was the winner gets all those lovely prizes um so yeah again huge thank you for everyone who's who supported the show in the previous years and up until this point um despite all the celebrations i'm gonna kind of start on a little bit of a neggy note because we've had some some sad news in the past couple of weeks so firstly one which hit home for a lot of people in the hardcore community uh, Brendan Stu Maguire, who played bass in Bane and also did bass and vocals in uh, Reach for the Reach of the Sky, sadly uh, passed away last week. Literally the day that I did my record, like my pre-record for last week's episode, so I wasn't able to touch upon it then. But Bane were like still are like a huge band for for me. They were like one of the, like the first proper hardcore bands I went and saw when I was a youngster. Um, and like obviously just seeing the story with with Stu and his his fight and everything and the benefit show that happened on Friday was meant to obviously be help his family for like medical bills and things like that and obviously that kind of completely changed the tone of it and is now sort of helping his family with with funeral costs and so on and so forth so I d- doubt this will reach anyone in the Bain camp or anything like that but love goes out to you thoughts go out to you and yeah r.i.p stew the other really sad passing that happened this week was uh drummer of uh sort of shoegaze pioneers hum uh brian st pete pierre sorry pierre pure i I apologize if i completely butchered his surname but he sadly passed away recently as well um so yeah two big deaths in the music scene recently which have caused waves through through the music scene and obviously made a massive impact on a lot of people so just kind of wanted to to show our respects a little bit there before we carry on with the celebration of our show which seems a bit benign but hey ho they this is how things go um before we get into this week's guest as always just want to kind of give a, a shout out to a few bands I've listened to. I can't remember if I mentioned it last week or not, but the new Turnstile EP is something that has been on a constant rotation in the last couple of days. Uh, apart from that, nothing massively new. The new Year of No Light record is really cool. A new Snag record is really cool. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been it really. Apart from that, not a whole lot to report in my world. So let's get on to this week's guest. 
This week I'm joined by vocalist of metalcore band Dying Wish, Emma Boaster. This was a really cool one. Like I've sung the praises of Dying Wish since I kind of got onto them. They're a band I'm super excited about and I'm super stoked that they're sort of getting added on big tour packages and, and getting sort of the light shone on them, which they massively deserve. Obviously, we talk about uh, how their kind of star has grown since Emma featured on the latest uh, Not Loose record, but like they're, they're, they deserve the respect in their own right. And we kind of talk about sort of the momentum of the band in this chat because there was a lot of momentum prior to the pandemic um and that's kind of been stunted a little bit but I, I think once this new record that we discuss a little bit in detail here gets dropped then they're just going to be stratospheric we talk about the normal obviously getting into music uh how emma's sort of, mum was a big sort of influence in, in sort of putting strong women in front of her well strong strong women in music anyway um and that kind of being not necessarily a goal, but something that was always prevalent, that it was something that she could achieve. Uh, we talk about her involvement in, in protests and activism and specifically around the Black Lives Matter movement that happened last year. Well, it's obviously still happening, but was very front and centre in the news last year and specifically in, in Cleveland, where, where she's from. There was a lot going on there and so, so much more. So I'm eternally thankful for Emma, uh, to Emma sorry for being the guest episode 200 so i'm gonna stop waffling on please enjoy the chat that i have with emma and i'll see you on the other side right so we have reached episode 200 a milestone that i never thought i'd kind of reach when i first started this but i am very humbled and honored to welcome onto this week's uh just inside podcast Vocalist of metalcore band Dying Wish, Emma Boaster. Emma, thank you very much for for being my guest on this this milestone for me. I really really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm stoked to be here. Um, obviously, like we'll get into sort of like how you kind of got into music and stuff, but we'll kind of st- I'm going to start in reverse order and start with the current at the moment because obviously bands are now starting to announce tours and things, and you guys have. Obviously, one was announced tail end of last year, but now obviously the Acacia Strain one announced just this this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. so two pretty big tours for for you guys. So, how are you feeling like to get back out on the road? Are you excited? Are you anxious? Or are you just are you just dying to get out there now? I'm very ready. Uh, I feel like the last uh, year and a half was. Uh, actually kind of a nice break for me personally. Um, mm. it, it sucks to think that we could potentially have lost some momentum as a band, but um, I think we're yeah. really going to hit the ground running so um, and make up for lost time. So I'm really excited to just get out there as much as possible. That's cool. And we'll get on to like the momentum side of things a little bit later because I think that is something that obviously we'll, I'll, we'll talk about. But I think just in terms of I don't know, like, as I've mentioned to you, like, when I sent the email, I think you guys are one of those bands at the moment that, despite everything that's happened, like, there's still people keeping an eye on what you're doing. So have you felt that from from an inside perspective, that people are still, like, keeping tabs on you, so to say? Yeah, and I do feel pretty lucky. Our fans have definitely um, 
uh, hung hung in there with us throughout this process. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, because we released our last single uh, in late August of last year, and mm. then Enemies uh, in October of 2019. So I know people know that there's new music and I know people want it. Um, but I feel like people are pretty understanding of what's been going on and, um, the delays behind it all, uh, you know, when it comes to an international pandemic. And, um, (laughs) I definitely do think that, uh, people are paying attention to us still, which is really awesome. That's cool. And just in terms of obviously like the two tours, so obviously you've got the Lionheart one and then obviously the one with Acacia Strain and they're like, they're substantial sort of, runs and things like that and i know obviously you've done kind of other tours as well but like is this sort of like the biggest things you've done as a band today in terms of like touring and things yeah definitely um i mean we did a a counterparts tour um but Mm. we were opening support on that and we were just uh west coast regionally Um, okay so this is like you know our first time supporting a, a a big package like that uh, for the entire tour, you know, and not just being a regional mm. support. Um, so yeah, this is definitely two of the biggest opportunities we've had so far. That's cool. And obviously like you, you, well, you hope later down the line, that's going to obviously open more doors and, and so on and so forth, I'm guessing. Right. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we'll kind of get to the crux of, of everything. Obviously how I kind of initially opened things up is to, to take my guests back to their roots and their origins so to say so like what kind of got you into alternative music in the first place like what was your first exposure to it alternative music I mean my mom really listened to a lot of like 90s alternative music uh you know I I grew up listening to stuff like No Doubt um okay uh stuff like Nirvana you know um and my mom she never really was very into punk music um you know, she has a Fugazi CD, I think. But um, so I, I, I kind of, you know, was always exposed to a little bit of the heavier side of music, um, mm. I guess. And then in middle school, um, I was living in Southern Oregon in a, in a small town um, before I moved to the Portland area when I was 13. And right. there's not a whole lot to do there. So, you know, I was spending time on MySpace a lot and I had friends who, um, you know, would introduce me to stuff like Metallica and um, Black Sabbath. And um, I had a friend who made me a mix CD that had that stuff and like some Children of Bodom was on it, um, just a bunch of random stuff. Um, and then I had moved to Portland when I was 13, um, right in the middle of uh, the summer Uh, when I was in the middle, middle school. And then I had this opportunity to be, to go to live music shows, you know what I mean? And go to concerts. And so, um, you know, I went to my first warp tour the summer that I moved here. And, um, that's when everything changed for me was when I had that experience of live music. Right. Okay. So what, who was you, that you were kind of seeing at those, that, that like warp tour then? Um, scary kids, scaring kids under oath, uh, Chiodos, uh, uh, just, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, the very MySpace era kind of stuff. Absolutely. It was before I really, um, you know, kind of got more into like, uh, you know, stuff like, uh, hardcore music, of course. And then there was like, yeah, yeah. Silence played, you know, I, I like some, uh, some more deathcore 
sounding bands like that too. Mm. And you mentioned obviously, like you say, your mum was kind of listening to people like No Doubt and things like that. But I don't know, were, were you kind of just because it was kind of like on in the house? Was it that you were drawn to it or did she kind of like not sit you down and be like, listen to this? But did she kind of like actively be like, oh, you might like this kind of thing? Um, I don't know. I think I think my mom kind of always wanted me to be exposed to um, influential uh, women in music, like right, okay. Madonna and women like Gwen Stefani and um we listened to the Dixie Chicks a lot too. I mean, we 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 were not into country music at all, but uh, <laughs> right. But they were they were powerful women making music, and so I think my mom wanted me to be exposed to that. But we used to um, we used to go on long road trips to visit my grandparents. So it'd be three hours one way, and we would just listen to music. And I I mean, my mom knew from a young age that I loved music. I would walk around the house singing and dancing at age two, and so my mom, you mm. know, she she wanted to kind of influence that i guess um right okay yeah and are you do you have siblings at all i do i have a little sister who is actually um she's she's a lot younger than me um i'm 26 and she's 17 so okay um, yeah but the, the reason i asked is just because like you say like your mum was kind of showing you these kind of like influential and inspirational women and i don't i may obviously you say a lot younger so obviously at the time you were a single child but I don't know. Do you think that she was subconsciously kind of doing that to sort of be like, you are a woman, you can do what the fuck you want kind of thing? Yeah. Or am I, mean, I reading way too much into it? <laughs> no, my mom, my mom is very much a feminist and has always had that mentality. So um, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, my sister is the same way you know <laughs> and my That's sister cool. my sister has me to look up for like look up to musically yeah, um, yeah. now so that's been kind of cool although she's not interested in heavy music pretty much <laughs> i was about all. to say like did she, <laughs> i was gonna say is she into dying wish but... um she's gone to a couple of our shows and she doesn't understand it but <laughs> you know i mean it's not for everyone is it but exactly that's cool at least she's a, at least she's shown support and attended i guess yeah it's cute um, so then in terms of, like you say, you kind of like discovering bands like Metallica and all that. And then as you say, like the, the Under Oaths and the Scaring Kids, Scaring Kids and stuff at, at Warped Tour. So when did you kind of like, I guess, kind of then actively maybe pursue the more sort of like hardcore side of things? Like, were, was it just kind of a natural path, like from going from one band to the next? Or did somebody kind of say like, oh, you might be into this and somebody kind of give you a CD? Like, where did that all kind of come into it? So I'm going to shout out my friend, Brian Porter, who actually lives in Dublin now. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. He um, and I were very close friends when I was uh, four, 15 um, is when we started to get close. And, you know, I was, I think we went to like the ghost inside together. Um, and he was like, I, I want to take you to the show. Like, I want to show you like, some hardcore bands I think you would really be into it so we went and um I think my first hardcore show ever like like a DIY hardcore show was yeah. um uh, the band Punch playing yeah. in um an anarchist bookshop in Portland and nice. uh so he Brian Porter was really uh the one who kind of showed me the way you know he showed me bands like Down to Nothing um 
bands like, uh, you know, Comeback Kid, Have Heart, um, you know, and bands in the early of early last of the decade, you know, were mm. doing really well and were really big. So um, he got me into that. And then once once I kind of like started to meet people and get integrated in the culture, um, I was just like, okay, like this, in a sense, I just felt like it was right. And like, that was like my community and where I belonged. It sounds kind of corny, yeah. but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. Like, I think it's very sort of similar to thing for myself. Like, so I've got an older brother and he was showing me like Converge and things like that. But like, it was when I found Comeback Kid that I was like, oh, this is a little bit different. Like, this is a bit more attuned to my ear and then as you say like you dig in like you go to the shows you find the community and like here in the UK obviously we're a lot smaller than than America so like our like DIY like hardcore community is very kind of close-knit and tight so like everyone kind of knows everyone and that's what I love about it and as you say like you kind of find your people sort of thing right yeah um as I live in the Northwest um, of the United States and, um, you know, Seattle is a four hour drive, three and a half, four hour mm. drive, depending on, you know, uh, and traffic, I guess, cause it's always <laughs> yeah. miss. Um, and then, you know, the, the next big city down is like uh, the Bay area, which is, you know, I, I want to say it's like a 10 hour drive. So we're, we're pretty mm. like, uh, secluded up here so we we definitely do get missed on tours quite a bit um and that has been a thing for us so we have definitely had to you know make our own little community and like yeah 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 it's like i i always love going out on the east coast because you know the cities are an hour to two hours away from each other and um it's easy to tour and um, I've always kind of been envious of, of that dynamic, but I do love kind of the smaller community that we have out here just because, you know, we get a little bit less shows. So we, we make the best of it, you know? That's cool. Well, that kind of leads in nicely to what I was going to ask. Cause I always f- like to find out what like other people's scenes are like, especially in America. Cause as you say, it's so wide and vast and every sort of town and city has their own little thing mm-hmm. so when you were growing up like as you say like it was that live experience that really kind of hooked you in so were shows few and far between or were you going to like everything that you could when you were growing up um it was rough I mean um we had kind of a hard time uh holding down venues I mean okay yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd have a venue and then something would break um, and then, you know, we wouldn't be able to go back there. And um, and people would often like bands would come through and often skip Portland. So we would go up to Seattle to go to shows a lot of the time. That was pretty common when I was younger. Um, but, you know, we made the best of it and um, it, it definitely had its um, it definitely had its years where we were pretty thriving. Um, I would say like uh, one year, I think it was like 2012 or 2013, Expire played in a Burgerville, which is like a fast food restaurant. Um, Oh, nice. And like it, I'm pretty sure it went viral on the internet, but like that, that period, you know, we were having bands like Foundation was 
um, playing in the Grange. And like, we just had a couple really solid venues that um, were allowing us to have shows. So Mm. it was doing really well, but, and then there was a period after that, um, you know, it, it really, it really depends on who's booking shows too, because if there's not a solid person willing to keep the scene alive and willing to keep booking yeah. shows, um, things are going to fall through and, you know, shows are just not going to happen. So there was definitely a couple years where there was not a lot going on. We didn't have venues and, um, but it, it's gotten, it's gotten a lot better since too. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Obviously the last year and a bit has been a write-off, but like in general, like how is it kind of now? Um, well, I'm kind of biased because I, I book a lot of the shows and I have a really okay. good time. <laughs> uh, I, I book, I book a lot of the hardcore gigs that come through Portland and I have a blast, um, doing it, but, um, you know, our scene is really fun. Um, we don't have a lot of drama. We respect each other. Um, we, you know, had a phase uh, a handful of years ago where, uh, there were a few people who came forward about experiences about, you know, uh, abusive people within the scene. So we had addressed that. Mm. Um, and ever since then, there's just a really good understanding and a really good community, um, you know, going on. Um, no drama, uh, pretty good attendance at shows. Bands always seem to have a good time. Maybe they're just telling me that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did you get into like the, the book inside of things then? Uh, I always wanted to do it. Um, my senior year, um, in, in high school, uh, for my senior project, I had, my senior project was to book a show because I didn't know, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I was thinking I wanted to do something music related. Um, and so I thought music business had not the slightest idea what that meant, but I was interested (laughs) in doing events. So I did a show for my senior project. And then um, after I graduated high school, uh, there wasn't really a lot of shows going on at the time um, in Portland for a couple of years. So I wasn't really involved. And then things started to come back and things were happening. And we have this really solid venue here called Blackwater, which is mm-hmm. a, it's a vegan bar, but they allow all ages shows. And cool. yeah, it's about a hundred capacity. So we do a lot of really cool shows there, but um, I was talking to, um, his name is Jeff. He used to, he used to book a lot of the shows, but I was talking to him about it and he goes, I don't know, man, I'm kind of sick of this. Like, you know, I don't make any money doing this and it takes a lot of my energy and like, I, you know, have a full-time job and I'm just not really into it. And I was like, well, how about you teach me how to do it? I would love to learn how to do it. And, um, ever since then I have, um, you know, just built connections, uh, working with bands and, you know, playing in a band and knowing people and, and booking shows in, in the area. That's cool. Is there any particular show that you've put on that you're like really proud of, like in terms of like whether it just kind of was one of those ones that went crazy or just in terms of attendance or like a band that you really wanted to, to see personally and didn't think you'd have the opportunity to book kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, I booked Trapped Under Ice. Um, oh, nice! And it was an awesome show. And that was kind of like a turning point for me um, because I booked it at this venue called the Hawthorne. And I, um, after I, I did that show, I ended up working at the Hawthorne in production. Um, oh, awesome. So I, and then I started working, you know, at a bigger venue, getting more experience working with bigger va- bands, not just like hardcore bands. Um, 
So that show was, was really cool. Um, and I mean, I, I don't remember off the top of my head how many people showed up, but I want to say it was like 300 people, which is pretty wild mm. for Portland. Um, and then I booked terror a few times. Uh, they're one of my That's favorite cool. bands. Um, yeah, I, there's, there's so many. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so just to backtrack a bit in terms of like you, getting into music yourself like obviously we know you as the vocalist for for dying wish but like has singing and vocals always been what you wanted to do or did you kind of dabble with any other instruments and then fall into it like where did that all kind of come into things i have always wanted to sing um ever since i was little you know um i would when i was younger it's really funny i wanted to be on american idol uh so i was (laughs) obsessed with that show from like age six um on and I did choir a lot in high school Uh, all four years I competed in choir um and yeah I just never really thought about it being a possibility of me being in a hardcore band or a metal band Mm. at the time mostly because I didn't believe in myself (laughs) but also because I you know it, it wasn't necessarily something that you saw too much yeah um and so you know i kind of at a young age i had this understanding of this is my place within the heart you know with that within the hardcore scene is to be in attendance um which that one of the great things about um hardcore is like that's definitely changed quite a bit um yeah yeah so in terms of like that then kind of i guess going from like doing choir and things to then being in a hardcore band like I don't know was it just a case of somebody kind of gave you the opportunity and like give it a go or did you kind of actively pursue like no I want to give this a go because like obviously the two styles are very different so how did that transition happen um it I I pursued you know being in a band with people um Hmm. So originally I had started the band with um, our guitar player, Pedro, and our drummer, Jeff. And we had gone to middle school and high school together. So I've known them for over a decade. And um, I just, you know, I knew that Pedro had played guitar and I knew that Jeff played drums. And I just went to them and I was like, we should start a band. And we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. Um, But then, uh, you know, throughout the process, we found Sam, who is our guitar player, um, and he writes a lot of the music. And um, and we were a four-piece. And then we found Andrew because he was taking photos of us at a show, and we were actively looking for somebody to play bass because we had a couple bassists that just, um, you know, didn't, didn't stick around for whatever reason. Mm. And I had – Andrew had taken photos of us, and so I sent him um, – you know, a message afterwards, uh, thanking him for the photos and asking if he knew anybody that played bass and wanted to be in a band. And he said that he did. And, uh, (laughs) that was it. Basically he came to practice and we all, we all hit it off and, um, we've been the same lineup since I think that was two years ago that Andrew, Oh, two and a half years ago that Andrew must've joined the band. So. Mm, That's cool. But like, in terms of you, like, I guess sort of, pushing and trying like your hand at sort of like the more quote-unquote aggressive vocals Mm -hmm. like from from going to someone that as you say wanted to be on like pop idol and doing choir Mm -hmm. like I don't know like 
is it something you practiced or did you just kind of like get in a room and give it a go sort of thing? Oh, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, you know, <laughs> I love the energy of hardcore and I love the music. And I was like, I just am so angry and I want to scream about everything. So, <laughs> um, so I did. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, uh, I guess I'm still kind of learning in a way, but uh, as, as far as like doing vocals, like I had never screamed in a band before, you know, mm. um, or screamed at all. I just, we, wrote a song and I started screaming over it and learned how to do it and went went from there I guess <laughs> it, it is <laughs> kind of that... a sorry go ahead no no I was just gonna say like do you think that like the training that you would have had like through choir for for example kind of maybe put you in better stead because you knew how to like control your voice in some aspects like I know it's completely different disciplines but like, so for instance, like I used to do vocals in like a kind of like a grindcore band. And the first time like I did it, I had no idea what I was doing and completely blew out my voice. Because mm -hmm. like, I just thought, oh, I can just scream sort of thing. But because you'd had that prior knowledge, do you think that helped at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the two, the the technique is, is kind of similar, um, you know, just as far as like form and, um, you know, your diaphragm and... Um, making sure that it comes from your, your face and, and not your throat, <laughs> yeah. um, is, is important. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a learning curve. Um, mm. it, 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 it does feel different for sure. Uh, yeah. So just in terms of like the, I guess, kind of the transition from, from the choir to the hardcore as well. And like, as you say, like being obsessed with like, um, American Idol kind of thing, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Was there a point when you kind of like realized that, oh, that dream's not going to happen. I want to pursue <laughs> this. W was there kind of like a defining moment or was it just the more you got into hardcore, the more you wanted to pursue it? Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, it, it was just the, the moment of finding hardcore and being involved in hardcore and having that in my life really defined a lot of things for me. And mm. I, so you know, had I, had I never found hardcore, maybe I would have pursued something silly, like a, like a pop singing career, probably not, honestly, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think hardcore is, is really finding that and being involved and having that music and that outlet is really what changed my outlook on a lot of things, but especially like mm. what I want to do in life for sure. Yeah. And I'm going to throw a hypothetical here at you. Okay. If par Parallel Universe, you did go on to American Idol, what would be the song that you sing? Uh, <laughs> well, my go-to karaoke song is Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Nice. Um, so, so probably something like that, you know, um, something that has a little bit more of a rock sound to it. Yeah. Um, I think that's just where my voice fits. No, that's fair enough. I just mm -hmm. thought I'd throw it out there, see, see yeah. what, what your answer was. Um, and just kind of like to to link the two together, you mentioned a moment ago, like b before kind of getting actively in the band, like you'd kind of worked out like, well, not worked out, but seen what your like position in the hardcore scene was as kind of like a spectator sort of thing. But obviously you had this mother that was like, check out all these inspirational influential women sort of thing so like when you kind of got into hardcore was it a bit jarring that you were like oh 
I'm kind of the odd one out here. Like, this is a bit of a boys' club. Like, obviously, as we've said, like, it has changed a lot now. But, like, when you initially kind of, like, wanted to pursue it, was that a difficult thing for you to kind of, like, hit that barrier kind of thing? Um, I don't think so. Because, I mean, I guess it's just music, heavier music in general. You know, I had been... Um, listening to more metalcore and deathcore bands and mm. their, that culture is kind of the same way. And um, I, you know, going to hardcore shows, like I have always kind of thrived in environments that, you know, have met, have a lot of men in them for some reason. I, I, <laughs> I'm not scared of them. <laughs> so like, yeah. it, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't to me like, oh my God, I'm, you know, there's not a lot of girls here. Like it, it is very true that there were not a lot of girls around. And, um, you know, we often felt like we were in competition with one another, one another, and mm. we were not always nice to each other. Um, but you know, it, it was just one of those things that came with the territory. I, I don't think I ever really thought too much about it until, you know, you, you have, this hindsight perspective when you think about it yeah. and you're like, Oh man, that really sucks. Like glad that, you know, we were able to change and our collective consciousness is on another level entirely at this point. Mm. So then in terms of like the bands kind of going forward, I, I guess kind of like in its early iterations, as you say, like you wanted to actively pursue being in a band and, and doing vocals. So when you guys first started, like, what was the sound that you were going for? Because obviously like now we hear what Dying Wish is, is like the kind of like more melodic metalcore, like hardcore band. But was it always with that like end game in sight or did it start as something else and evolve into what we hear? Uh, you know, I think we were just trying to figure it out and we were just um, writing and just seeing where, where it took us. And, you know, we had certain inspirations, uh, like, I, I guess we listened to a lot of stuff like Hatebreed and we listened to, um, you know, our, our drummer li likes a lot of deathcore music. And so, you know, that he's always had that style. And I think we were just kind of figuring it out based on, you know, our influences and um, the first few things that we did, uh, it never really feel, it never really felt like I had a friend tell me this, um, when I showed him the new stuff, he was like, you know, your, your old, your older stuff is good, but like, it just feels like you were just trying to figure it out and yeah. you we're releasing it and being like, here you guys go. Like, I think this is what we're doing. <laughs> and he was like, but now we're, um, you guys are like very intentionally doing the sound that you want to do and that you need to do. And so, um, yeah, it just kind of, we, we found ourselves as artists all kind of collectively and were able to, um, really lock in the sound that we were looking for after, you know, a couple of years of being in a band. Um, just in terms of like where, obviously, as you say, like you kind of like figuring things out. And I, I think I'm trying to think when I first came across you guys, think it was from yeah no 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 i remember what it was it was one of the hate five six videos and it was the one of you that got gift <laughs> of you just like frantically screaming 
but like obviously like before that like obviously you were like working as a band and stuff so when did you kind of see a shift in in you going from being like a portland local band to a wider american audience a wider european audience when did you see that kind of change um well i think it's undoubtedly because of the knocked loose feature um right okay the exposure from that i mean alone was really just uh put us on another level and i cannot thank them enough for that um that that's definitely when we saw the shift from you know just being a band that plays shows every once in a while to a band that like actually got a decent amount of you know recognition Mm. So, so then in terms of like i guess like as i say like with the with that hate five six video that i kind of saw because i always find it interesting like how people's kind of reaction to that is because I, I off the top of my head i can't remember what, what year that was but i think obviously the split that you did with serration was out by that point so that mm-hmm. like for me that was kind of my in point because i saw that video went back and checked that out so i don't know did do you did you did you get like a bump from from that at all or did you not kind of really see that um from hate five six yeah yeah um yeah definitely a little bit i mean at that at that point we were you know there were little things kind of piling up that were uh you know stuff like the hate five six videos or uh, other kinds of exposures like um certain bands like posting about us and um, being like, yo, check this band out, stuff like that. Little, littler things were piling up like that. So we were definitely, um, you know, starting to get more serious looks. You know, we were starting to get opportunities to open for bigger shows in Portland. And, um, we were definitely working our way up there, but, uh, the, the Knocked Loose feature and, um, our like collaboration with them is definitely the turning point. Hmm. So the other thing I always kind of find interesting is kind of like what it was like for you guys sort of going out on the road for the first time. And I think like this is going to be a bit of a, maybe a bit too much information, but I saw like, so is it Chrissy, the photographer? From Tampa, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I follow her on on Instagram because I do some like photography here in, in the UK as well. And I remember seeing the tour that you guys did with, um rhythmic razor and like literally had proper like fomo from it i was like oh mate this tour looks fucking sick sort of thing Mm -hmm. but like what were your kind of like initial sort of like outings on the road like like did you kind of have any like preconceived ideas of what touring would be like what did it kind of live up to that did it kind of cement your thoughts of like oh this is definitely something that i want to pursue and do more of yeah i mean the reaction that we got on that tour um, and, you know, the tours that we had done that year was uh, we, we had done a West Coast tour with Serration um, earlier that March. We did an East Coast tour uh, with Cast and Blood and Castaway that summer. And then we did that tour with Risk Meat Razor and Exit Strategy. And the reactions that we got on that tour, like, kind of surprised me, honestly. Mm. Um, but yeah, and um I think we all just really like being on the road, you know, we're all prepared for that lifestyle. And, um, we definitely, uh, I think that was the longest tour we ever did. It was about three weeks. Um, we broke down literally eight hours into the drive. (laughs) Um, 
And so, you know, it, it kind of gave us those experiences of what touring is actually going to be like. And I think we're all really into it. Um, does that answer mm. your question properly? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, just in terms of like the, I guess the first tours that you kind of went on as a band, like what were they like in terms of like, I guess sort of getting out of Portland and, and things like that? Like was, was it where they were received? Was it kind of gritting through by your skin of your teeth, but you still loved the experience? What was that kind of like? I mean, every, every day is hit or miss, you know? Um, and I'm sure it'll be like that going forward. You know, we're going to have good nights and we're going to have bad nights, but um, I when, especially when we first started, I genuinely didn't expect anybody to care. Um, mm. And and when people do, you know, and uh, people people really seem to have fun with us at our live shows, which is awesome. Um, and we love that energy. And I we will constantly encourage that when we're playing. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, there were there was a few a few rough nights. We we played a couple rough shows, but it's part of it's part of the territory with being a new <laughs> yeah. band, especially. You know, you're you're gonna have to play those duds, and um, sometimes it it makes for a funny story, and sometimes you make a hundred bucks and you drive to the next city. <laughs> yeah, <fair laughs> and and just in terms of like what you're kind of like writing about and and singing about, like. I think nowadays, it, well, hardcore's always kind of been a place where sort of people wear their heart on the sleeves and sort of have a message to talk about and so on and so forth. And you're no different. But what I kind of want to get to is kind of where your your sort of views on kind of like wanting to push that message kind of came from. Because as, as you said, like at the beginning of this conversation, like your mum being a, a feminist and things like that. But when did you kind of like get into like politicising things and being interested in politics and the wider world around you rather than being in your own little bubble kind of thing? Uh, probably. I mean, I've always been interested uh, in politics, but um, I, I would have to say, you know, in school, uh, high school, mm. um, when I really, you know, was discovering veganism and um, learning about, you know, um, learning about the injustices, uh, that our history has to offer. And, um, I've been pretty passionate about politics and, um, people ever since I really can, can remember, um, as far as being radicalized goes, cause I do feel like the, the lyrics for bound are pretty radical. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's about violence against fascism for sure. Um, and I have, it's, it's funny to even think ever since I wrote the lyrics to that song, how much more I know now and how much differently I feel about a lot of things um, from a radicalized perspective. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, in terms of kind of, like, as you say, like, that kind of it being from a radical perspective and then putting that into the music sort of side of things like I don't know was that always a mission statement with Dying Wish that because like as you say you've been you've been sort of interested and educated about this stuff from a young age so when Dying Wish died was that always something that you wanted to put your stamp on kind of thing? 100% um I always wanted to um have 
our lyrics be relatable and um, really make people feel connected to it um, through a morality perspective or, or through something where, you know, I, I write songs about struggling with, you know, depression. And um, I've just always not only wanted to use it as an outlet to express how I feel about things, but also to, um, you know, give, put, put my, I guess, how do I say this? To make, make art that people can relate to and that mm. makes people feel something. Um, I feel like there's, um, I mean, I, I like a lot of bands that, you know, don't necessarily talk politics or anything like that, but um, it's just something I, I'm really passionate about and not just me, you know, um, we have other people in the band who are passionate about the things that we talk about. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's always going to be a part of who we are and it has always been. And um, I, I, I like it that way. That's <laughs> no, fair enough. But like you mentioned, obviously with the, some of the lyrical content, obviously like being about your kind of dealing with, with sort of mental health issues. And one of the things that I've kind of learned obviously about you as a band, yourself specifically is kind of like, your openness with your your queerness and things like that and i think like we're seeing more bands sort of be open and talk about that kind of side of things but i guess like when you were first sort of putting pen to paper in in terms of it like were you nervous about being open on something because like i guess if we take innate thirst as an example that is a song that's about a very specific thing and as you say with the same with bound but like where the ones that are a bit more personable did you find that difficult or was it like cathartic to put it onto page so to say and then put it onto song uh it's complicated because it's really both um you know uh especially there's uh there's one song on the new record um that when everybody hears it they're gonna know my life story and okay. um as far as like you know, the trauma that I've been through. And it's always, it's always been the song that I've wanted to write. And I just never felt like I had the right opportunity to until we were in the studio and I poured my heart out into the song. And I'm so open about the worst things that have ever happened to me in my entire life. And um, it's very scary, you know, mm. being vulnerable and telling literally the entire world about <laughs> yeah. trauma I've been through. But um, at the same time, like, like I said earlier, like, this is my outlet for me to, you know, like, I've been to therapy, but like, <laughs> this is my outlet <laughs> yeah. to like, like, really, you know, express myself. And it is very cathartic, because it's really difficult, like, you know, to, um, to, to kind of relive that experience, like when you're, when you're telling the story, but at the same time, like, it's, it's, it, it really does, it is a coping mechanism mm. for me in a way. Um, and I hope that people who listen to the songs will kind of, you know, feel like either they're not alone or like that the lyrics resonate in a way that it helps them cope. Um, hopefully it doesn't trigger too many people. Uh, but yeah, so it, it is complicated. Um, there's a lot of feelings involved. <laughs> yeah. And just in terms of that, like not saying that you need like your bandmates approval or anything like that, but like when it is something that, if we take this new song for for an example, where, as you say, it's kind of like your life story in a, in a song form, like, do you have to kind of, like, give them a heads up and sort of 
talk them through the process and was there kind of any reaction to maybe stuff that they didn't know about um wow yeah um i mean they're pretty supportive there's there's certain things that like that you know i'll be like can i you know talk about this and i and i'll ask and you know sometimes they're like no because or not not always but there has been one time where you know i i kind of proposed a lyrical subject and they were like um just maybe not for this one or you know (laughs) whatever um but they're pretty they're they're pretty supportive for the most part um and like yeah the the there has been a couple moments where you know i'll like tell them the lyrics and they'll be like damn Hmm. (laughs) but i mean they know me so they know me very well so i don't think they're surprised by any means by a lot of the things that i say because i am pretty open with them about most of it so that's cool and just sorry to kind of dwell on it but like just in terms of as you say that kind of relatability sort of side of things and i'm kind of gonna sort of take us back a little bit and sort of try and marry it in some shape or form but like as you say like when you kind of started going to to shows like seeing punch in that sort of anarchist bookstore and sort of like obviously like what Megan was singing about was sort of very personal to to her. Fast forward to where you are now, and obviously there's a lot of eyes on on what Dying Wish are going to be doing in the future. Like obviously, I'm not saying oh you looked up to Punch and they were your inspiration, but like, do you feel that like you're now kind of in some aspects carrying the torch that was presented to you, and you've kind of got to because you've got this platform, like use it in in a way to talk about these things that may be not talked about? I don't really see it as like my civic duty, you know? Um, like <clears throat> I, I mean, it, if it, there, there are certain things where I feel like it's not necessarily my place to talk about them, hmm. you know? Um, I, maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't really see it as like, this is my opportunity to like, you know, spread information about things. You know what I mean? I just talk about things that I'm, I'm passionate about. Um, and I don't do it for any other purpose besides that really. Mm. And I mean, I do, I do want people to feel inspired and by dying wish. And if people learn, you know, something from us and can open their mind and, um, you know, if we can influence things in the world, that's fucking amazing. Mm. I, I don't, um, I've never really seen this opportunity as me, like, you know, of being in a band. I've never seen it as like, I have, I have this massive platform and yeah. I like, you know, people listen to what I say and I, I've never felt like it's my duty to say certain things. I just, I, I've, I feel like we're pretty opinionated on a lot of stuff and, um, we want those messages to be heard, absolutely. Mm. And like, I think, obviously, again, sort of playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but like, because obviously there's this like sort of new generation of of people that are getting into hardcore and stuff, and like they'll see bands like yourself, like Mortality Rate, like Torso, and so on and so forth, where there are these women that are kind of talking about strong messages and stuff, kind of like going back to what you were saying, like with your mum, like kind of putting these, these strong women in front of you, not saying that like, they're going to be like, 
oh my god emma and all this sort of thing but like i don't know does is it weird that like you could potentially be that somebody for someone absolutely (laughs) (laughs) it does scare me a little bit but because i don't think i don't think i should be anyone's idol you know like um i still have a lot to figure out i you know uh i don't necessarily have my shit together but um (laughs) It is scary, but, you know, and I just hope, I I hope that I can live up to people's expectations. I just hope that, you know, if that does happen, there's a little bit of graciousness involved, Mm. Um, you know, um, because I'm, I'm human and, um, you know, I want to be able to, you know, I I think that if 16 year old me were to look at 26 year old me, 16 year old Emma would definitely idolize me. Yeah, yeah. or at least be like, think I'm cool. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Um, which maybe I'm just saying that because I don't know, because this is, I feel like this is what I like, I've always wanted to do um, yeah. or was like meant to do, but yeah, I, it is scary to think, but you know, I, um, I do like hearing the things that people have to say when they feel like inspired by me or, um, you know, they I've had people say really nice things about our music meaning a lot to them and that's honestly the coolest part about all of this Mm. to me so and just to kind of like really bring things sort of full circle talking about your sort of vocal style and so on and so forth and I think like now when people hear like a Dying Wish song like you have a very distinct sort of vocal tone and on that obviously Knock Loose song when you kind of come in like even if people weren't necessarily like fans of Dying Wish but like I guess, okay, from my perspective, as a fan of Dying Wish, if I hadn't seen the liner notes and just listened to that song, I'd be like, oh, shit, that's Emma from Dying Wish kind of thing, like when your bit kicks in. So, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. When you, have you kind of, like, learned how to sort of not perfect your tone, but, like, to get to a place where you're comfortable with your voice and you know what you want to achieve with it, if that makes sense? Yeah, I feel like I kind of um, grew into that place when we were recording the record in the studio just because we were there for so long and I was tracking vocals every day for Mm. like two weeks almost. Uh, Maybe not two weeks. You know, I I was, I was, yeah, just about. I was, you know, doing sessions every day for probably about two weeks. And um, yeah, uh, I definitely, honestly, it was, the most practice I'd had really um, with hearing my voice, um, you know, cause we'll like play shows, but um, if we're playing a smaller venue, like I can barely hear myself. And so yeah. it was, it was the best practice that I had so far. And I definitely practice is definitely key to finding that comfortability. And it is almost like a muscle memory in a way mm. to me. Um, so, yeah. And I do think that people are going to hear my vocals on the record and I think they have improved personally. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I hope that I just continue to get better um, and try different things. I would really like to try different things with um, the tone of my voice. And I, I'm getting more comfortable, you know, as as we continue working. That's cool. Um, and before we kind of get on to, like, where we are now, like, obviously something that I kind of wanted to talk to you about was something that I saw that you were very active part of during, like on social media, was the Black Lives Matter protests that obviously happened around a year ago now sort of thing. 
and obviously like portland was kind of like one of the epicenters <laughs> for it so if you don't mind can you just kind of sort of illuminate us and sort of just talk about what that experience was like and sort of yeah just being involved in that what what was that experience like for you oh it i mean it's still happening um there are still protests daily you know weekly if not daily um here and you know it's it's not like what the media makes you it's not like what the media wants you to think yeah. you know the city you know you're you're not gonna have your car broken into you're not gonna get beat up by somebody in black block you know they're it, it's it's just all the media trying to um make anti-fascists and anarchists look bad which um you know what are you gonna do but um <laughs> It's, it's been, it's, it's, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's been really difficult. Um, you know, obviously, um, there's a lot of suffering and it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's painful to see, and this is nothing new. Mm. And, um, you know, that I think that this is just the beginning, um, you know, I, I don't really want to talk too much about like the, the protests themselves in yeah, Portland no, because fine. I feel like it's kind of missing the the point of like what's actually important. Um, you know, uh, it's it's the police violence is just so blatant and um, the violation of human rights by them and by the federal police that are here. Um, you know, uh, it's really terrifying and we should be paying attention to that. Mm. Um and we should be paying attention to the way that the media is covering it and um, how they're responsible for, you know, um, a lot of the, the propaganda um, against, you know, these, these movements. Um, but I mean, the movements themselves is like what's important, you know, like uh, we have been making a lot of demands to um, defund and abolish the police. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of people are obviously um, don't like the sound of that, but um, when you really, when you really break down and like the fundamentals of what that means, it means you know taking away from this this policing um, that doesn't prevent crime. Um, it just uh, perpetuates a lot of violence within our communities and. Uh, when you take away that funding and you're able to put it back into the communities for, you know, um, for school and for um, housing opportunities and, um, you know, uh, just just investing in people, mm. um, that's what reduces crime. And so I really think that, um, you know, we a lot of people are afraid of listening to the message abolish the police because they just think that we'll just be like this lawless land of anarchism but um that's not necessarily what it means and so um i definitely encourage everybody to um you know really think about abolition and community and how we can um how we can really restore the the violence that's been done against um people of color uh, mm. in america and all over the entire world is to um to break down these systems that continue to you know harm them every day and um the, the best way that we can reverse that is by investing in them and 
um, and within our communities. And policing is not the answer to that. So, <laughs> very much. Sorry agreed. for the. <laughs> no, no, no. Very much. Agreed. Sorry for the TED talk, but. Um, I just want to kind of get your like your opinion on this then so because obviously like the way that the media has portrayed things especially like here in the UK like we only see sort of snapshots of it and so on and so forth but because obviously the trial around Derek Chauvin was global and obviously everyone was kind of had eyes on it and obviously the, the like the conviction went through from your perspective is that a step in the right direction or do you think that he was just used as kind of not a scapegoat but like we've done the right thing now now hopefully people will hush hush and forget about it kind of thing um i think you're absolutely right about the latter mm. um uh it doesn't it doesn't do anything in my opinion um you know uh i i don't think that our justice system will ever properly not favor white cops or cops in general or white people in general. And um, I, I don't think that it stops violence at all. It's um, a very, it's a consequence for one action. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't think that, I don't think suddenly cops in America are shivering in their boots <laughs> yeah. thinking that they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to go to jail for the rest of their life. Or, I mean, who even knows how long Derek Chauvin's going to be in prison for, um, he could be favored in sentencing. Um, but, uh, I, I think the answer is to the real justice is to not allow the situations like George Floyd and like Breonna Taylor to happen. Um, and it, we give entirely too much power to police. And just because somebody had a consequence for their action doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to end this cycle of violence that's been happening for hundreds of years in America, mm. you know, like, um, it's, it's just not. Um, and I don't think any, I, I mean, sure. The man he, he definitely deserves he deserves uh, consequences yeah. for his actions. He deserves, um, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know, punishment, I guess. Um, this, this is his punishment. Um, I, I don't think that it restores um, any sort of, um, I, I don't think it resolves any pain for the, for, for the community in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, I, I just don't necessarily think it's it's the the answer going forward um, is to continue to uh, rely on this crooked uh, system of justice mm. uh, to do anything for you know in these situations. Mm. And just to kind of link it back to I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, you're all good. But just to link it back to Dying Wish, obviously, so the last recorded material that we heard from, from you guys was obviously in Eight Thirst, which was kind of a reaction to everything that was kind of going on and, and kind of the more sort of virtue signally sort of side of it kind of thing. But what my question is, is like, yep. did you guys kind of get any backlash from, from it at all? Or did people fully agree with what your message was? Surprisingly, no, I don't think we got any backlash, not that I saw. Um, 
I mean, yeah, nobody, nobody was really upset. I mean, um, I, I feel like a lot of what we said was true. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's my opinion, but yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen anybody upset about it. Um, maybe that doesn't mean they won't happen, Yeah, but you know, um, we'll, uh, people are entitled to feeling that way if, if they want to, no, no. you know, <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, and obviously like when we kind of first started this conversation, like you sort of spoke about kind of like the, the loss of momentum with, with where you were at, because obviously that single came out and then people were sort of like, Oh, is this going to lead to a record? Which obviously we've discussed is there or thereabouts kind of thing. But in terms of like what you guys have kind of been doing mm-hmm. behind the scenes, obviously pull away the curtain as much as you kind of want on this question. But what has kind of been going on with Dying Wish? Like, because obviously, like we've seen bands do live streams and whatever's on, but during lockdown. But you guys have kind of picked and choose your moment. So, what what's kind of been go- bubbling on behind the scenes with you guys? Um. Well, planning for the release of our debut LP, um, which has, you know, I feel like we've been pretty quiet, but um, there is a lot going on behind the scenes, Mm. um, you know, uh, as far as promotional things to promote the record. Um, I don't know if I can say, but (laughs) music videos, stuff like that. Um, I I mean, just the obvious things that come along with promoting a record on on a label, so um that's 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 what we've been doing you know um we haven't done a live stream yet that doesn't mean we won't plan to do one I don't I don't necessarily know if we will but um we've been planning tours and you know working on material to promote the record um and doing interviews (laughs) (laughs) like what I'm doing now but um yeah we're definitely we're definitely quiet about it quiet about it because we don't want to be one of the bands that announces that we're making moves in silence yeah you know yeah. what i mean that's cool and just briefly obviously i know there's only limited things that you can say in terms of like release date and so on and so forth but what i wanted to kind of ask was was the relationship with sharp tone because like i think they're a label that's doing incredible things at the moment and like every band i've spoken to who has signed to them has got nothing but good things to say so in terms of like where you are in terms of like the release and like because of that's the thing like when a band announces they signed like okay they'll do like a video or a single and then you kind of expect the the full length or an ep of some aspect to be imminent but because you guys have kind of taken taken a more measured approach have they been totally cool with how you wanted to go about the release because it is your first like quote unquote big release have they been like totally on board with how you've approached it oh yeah i mean they pretty much (laughs) shout out sean but they pretty much kind of do whatever we want which is really cool (laughs) cool. Uh, they really trust they really trust us um and our visionary is artists um and i they have from the start and they've always believed in us and um yeah they're they're awesome um I could not be happier on this label if I'm being honest. That's cool. And again, I know obviously you can, you'll have to be a little bit vague, but can we expect it this year or are we going to have to hold our breath a little longer? Yep. (laughs) 
nope uh you'll see it this year for sure perfect (laughs) and i think everyone might turn blue in the face if they have to wait any longer that's cool and just like i know we've kind of touched upon it a little bit in terms of the song that you said was a bit more personable but what kind of things are you drawing upon on this record specifically um a lot of things um we talk about um mental health, our struggle, struggle with depression. Um, we talk about uh, uh, stuff about, you know, survivors mm. um, and what, what the struggle of being a survivor is. Um, we talk about um, the losing of loved ones. Um, we talk about uh, there's I don't know if I want to say ballad, but there's like a couple ballads on the record okay, cool. in a way um, where they're like literal love songs. Um, oh, wow. But, you know, um, uh, I'm a pessimist. So uh, my love songs are always written from a perspective of, well, this is this is great, but um, this is probably going to end terribly. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then and <laughs> and then. Um, and uh, a couple, you know, there's a couple of songs about, there's a song about abolition. Um, there's a song about, you know, uh, uh, abolish, abolishing ICE, abolishing the police, um, prisons, uh, you know, just the, uh, the idea of that. Mm. And some of it is written from a violent perspective and some of it is not. And um, so, yeah, it's a pretty diverse record topically. That's cool. And I've got to ask from a very selfish standpoint, because obviously you've announced these mega tours in, in the States. Are there any plans to come to, to Europe or the UK at all? Um, so we're coming to Europe next year with Terror Lionheart and Get the Shot. Awesome. Um, that'll be next fall, winter. Um, that is Europe. I don't know about the uk but i would absolutely love to play shows out there so i know we'll make it out there eventually uh honestly we'll play anywhere so <laughs> nice. um we we want to we want to travel as far and wide as possible that's cool um emma how i like to kind of round this off is to ask my guests what their favorite song is but with a bit of a twist um and this might change because obviously you have a record written but you haven't had it out in the world yet, but we'll give it a shot anyway. What is your favorite Dying Wish song that you'd like to play live and why? Live? Yeah. Oh, Enemies. Still, yeah. even <laughs> yeah. even with um, even with the songs that we have on the new record that we play in our set, we do practice like every week. Um, Enemies is still my favorite song to play because, um, I mean, it's, it's just it's such a fun song. Um, you know, the breakdown is awesome. And um, Sam, Sam, our guitar player, he actually in the studio, he started doing vocals. He has some vocal spots, uh, backups and stuff on the new record. And so we, we double up on the enemy's part now. So I do Brian's awesome. part and he does my part. Oh, okay, cool. And now I get to do Brian's part. <laughs> <laughs> instead of like instead of well i mean i'm sure when we're on tour we'll probably have somebody do brian's part yeah. if it works out but um it's just a really fun song the energy is cool uh we did switch it up a little bit near the end we did change a couple things so when we uh release the album version um i think people will like the little changes that we made to it mm. but um 
yeah, enemies, no doubt. I think we, I think we're all on the same page with that, honestly. That's cool, awesome. Well, Emma, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for putting up with my technical difficulties as well. I really appreciate it. But um, yeah, it's all good. It is all good. Thank you for having I me. I cannot wait to hear the record. Like as I, as I mentioned when I reached out to you guys, like you're a band that I've kind of kept tabs on for for a while. So I'm super super stoked to to hear the new record when it drops. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited for you to hear it. And um, please let me know how you feel about it. I'd love to to chat with you again sometime. Yeah. You're a delight. So. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, Emma, thank you very much for your time. Take care. You too. Thank you. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Emma for taking some time and having a little chat with me and dealing with the little technical glitches I had. I hope that they weren't obvious of what was going on. But yeah, there was a few little technical hiccups during the conversation. But really appreciate her taking the time and sort of persevering and chatting with me. And yeah, super excited for a Dying Wish record when that finally hits our ears. As always, if you want to keep up to date with what Dying Wish are doing, you can do so by visiting all their various social media platforms. If you're lucky enough to live in the States, go head out and check them on one of those incredible tours that they're doing with either Lionheart or the Acacia Strain. Um, and fingers crossed I'll be over here in the UK and Europe in the not too distant future. Um, just, yeah, that's, that is it for another another week. Again, just eternally grateful for everyone that supported this show over the last couple of years. It's like, yeah, I never expected to reach episode 200, but here we are, hoping for many more to come in the future. Um, as always, keep up to date with what we're doing on social media. It's at just underscore and underscore insight on both Instagram and Twitter. Just an insight podcast on Facebook. And yeah. That's it for another week. Thank you again for stopping by the Justin Inside podcast, and I will see you soon.